I'd like to start by acknowledging that I live on the traditional territories of the Lekwungen-speaking peoples of the Esquimalt and Songhees nations. For those of you who don't know, I have a background in alternative education, meaning that um, I have taught in alternative settings and I have provided alternative forms of education in alternative ways. So um, I'll, I'll, some of the alternative settings that I've taught in was a juvenile detention center or custody center. I have taught and provided primarily counseling services by counseling groups as well in an addictions treatment center. I taught in a school for pregnant and parenting young moms, um, as well as other students who struggle to fit into the mainstream system, primarily due to mental health concerns. And then the current school that I teach at, though it's considered a mainstream school, I would argue has some alternative flair to it. Some of the differences in the ways that that education is provided is through self-paced measures, uh, adapting or modifying materials to suit the needs of the individual student, and providing every single student who comes through with an IEP or an individual education plan, which is different than like a mainstream school. So the school that I'm at now doesn't do that. It's only students who qualify for an IEP who would get one and it could be for any number of reasons but the other schools that i've been at each student would have an iep or a designation one at the alternative school for young moms each of those students would have received what's called a category h designation which means that it's for mental health and the same was true in juvie or youth custody um, though those students may have a myriad of other possible diagnoses and could have received an iep for those things too so that's just kind of the like what alternative education is. It can look all sorts of different ways. So online learning is also considered alternative, even if students are meeting specific deadlines. Yeah, alt ed can be basically anything. Adult learning is considered alternative. Uh, students achieving a different type of certificate at the end or diploma at the end could be considered alternative. So there's lots of different ways in which learning or schooling can be alternative. So the reason I'm talking about this, I get a lot of questions about my background in alternative education and what my experiences were like. And people typically really like to hear the stories that I have from my time in these different alternative places. So I've compiled some of my favorite stories to share them, some that are a little more humanizing, some that may seem a little bit, I don't know, unsettling. But the goal of this is that if you're looking at possibly becoming an alternative education teacher, some of these stories might inspire you to pursue that or they, they might discourage you from pursuing that. Alternative education is not the type of teaching that everybody should go into. And I really, really urge you that if you have an interest in alt ed, do your research before you become an alt ed teacher because a lot of people fall into it and it is much more challenging in different ways than mainstream education. There may be less marking or less record keeping in some aspects, but more in others. And there's just different challenges. And you need to be the kind of person who's prepared to meet those unique challenges in order for it to actually be a good fit. And I also say this not just for you, so that you're not getting into a situation where you feel totally overwhelmed because it can be totally overwhelming, but I'm also saying this for your students who are in alt ed settings. Quite often the reason they've ended up in an alternative setting is because the mainstream school system has failed them. 
I have seen a lot of mainstream teachers want to get into alt ed because they look at it as quote unquote easier. But the reason that it's easier is because they aren't doing the hard work of building those relationships, building trust, nurturing the students basic needs really and looking at their the Maslow's hierarchy as they're teaching which in alt ed is even more important than it is in mainstream education if you're going to be that teacher who is just thinking that it, it might be a little bit simpler please don't go into alt ed go into alt ed because you have a passion for the types of students that you'd be working with that you can see them for who they are and that you can love them regardless of what they've experienced or how they've behaved in the past that's just my disclaimer before we jump in here. So the first alternative place that I worked was in the Youth Custody Center, and that was actually my very first teaching job. I was really lucky because I knew that this is where I wanted to end up. I knew that I wanted to work in youth custody. I had already started volunteering there and was running uh, poetry groups and going to the gym with the guys, that kind of thing. So our youth custody center was structured with four separate units. And when I first started there, there was a girls unit and three boys units. There was open custody and closed custody. Open custody meant that the youth may be permitted day passes for different things. Closed custody meant that they weren't. Um, typically it was dependent on the offense that they were in for um, that would have dictated whether they were open or closed and how the judge ruled. By the time I left, Victoria Youth Custody, our government, and this is a whole other issue, I'm not going to get into it, but they had they were closing our center, which is the only reason I don't still teach there. But our government had closed the girls quarter of the center and has started shipping girls to a different custody center on the mainland on Burnaby. So most of what I'll be discussing is with regards to my work with the boys because by the time I started actually teaching there and had my first contract, it was an all boys custody center. The girls might be there for an overnight remand, but other than that, it was boys. I just have a few really fun stories to share um, about my time there. One of the things that I did with the students before I started at the custody center as a teacher was poetry. And I'm not a poet myself, but I've seen the power of slam poetry and I had seen many of the boys writing. And so I had connected with some of the boys and asked like what it was they were writing, what style they were writing in, if they were writing narratives or poetry. And most of them were writing rap music. And we all know as educators that rap music and poetry are one and the same. It's just poetry put to a beat. And so I started looking at their rap music and it was really good, really insightful, inspiring, and deep, meaningful stuff. And I had already started my master's degree at this point in counseling psych. I was already in a place where I was seeing everything that the kids were doing as therapeutic, whether it was therapy or not. And with me, it wasn't therapy until I became a therapist, but I was seeing that their rap music was really therapeutic. And I was really fortunate because on my teaching practicum, I worked with a teacher who was very good at poetry and had a lot of really great community connections to poets and rappers. So that's kind of what I started doing. I started running groups with them and we started listening to rap music and listening to poetry and the guys would write and they were writing incredible, incredible things. I would help them edit their work. We would learn new styles of rap, new styles of poetry. I would bring in beats for them. And then 
yeah, they would share what they had written together, which is a huge act of vulnerability for them to actually be willing to share their work with one another. And it took us a while to get there, but once they got there, they were so excited to be able to share their stuff with each other. And they were actually really supportive and kind to one another when they would share their work. And that wasn't always the case, you know, like we could be in a class and people would not necessarily be kind to each other. But for some reason, when we were doing these groups, they were much gentler with one another. I think because they all understood the vulnerability it takes to share. So I was then able to reach out and contact some of the folks that I knew through the poetry and rap community and see if they'd be willing to come in and do workshops and do a poetry slam with the students. And they were. So they came in and did far better workshops than I could have ever hoped to offer. The kids continued to develop their skills, which meant that we were able to move on to the next stage, which was getting them to participate in a community-based slam poetry event. And Victoria has a lot of slam poetry, and it is really a big part of the community here. And yeah, there's just lots of great poetry events that happen throughout the year. And with the kids in custody, obviously I couldn't take them to Victoria's Voices the slam poetry competition. We couldn't go. So we brought some of the kids who participated in Victoria's Voices to them. And I know what people are probably thinking. You brought a bunch of underage people into a juvenile detention center. Yes, I did, actually. Um, I had to get lots and lots of of higher-ups permission. I had to get permission forms signed. I had to contact families. I was on the phone regularly with families. And uh, unfortunately, but also necessary, I had to screen which students from the custody center were participating. So it was really based on why they were there, making sure that the kids who came in were going to be safe too. But this event was extraordinary. The boys were fantastic. They were so excited and it was so great to see this other side of them because they could be tough and posture and, and you know behave in ways that, that we wouldn't necessarily encourage or condone but they were like supportive and kind and encouraging of one another when it came time to perform on stage and one of the highlights for me was a student who uh, stuttered pretty heavily and he was really really stressed about performing live so I got him a I know this sounds super old school but I got him a tape player and they couldn't have anything to access the internet so I got him a tape player like a I don't know, what are those? A Walkman? Yes, a Walkman. I got him a Walkman and I put beats onto a cassette tape. Don't ask me how I found these things or how I recorded it. It was a process. And he he wrapped it with the headphone in his ear so that it was still considered quote unquote slam poetry without a beat behind it. And he nailed it and it was absolutely smooth and flawless. And to see the look of confidence on his face at the end was brilliant. And so we often see these young people as being these hardened criminals. I really urge you to think of them differently and see them as they are. They're youth. They're kids in custody. So that was kind of the first like thing that I did with them that really helped me to build relationship and really helped to build a community of encouragement and support within the walls of the custody center, which can be really difficult to do. Another highlight for me at the custody center was um, our suit giveaways. So when a youth was getting ready to exit the program, 
that's the gentle way of saying uh, they were being released from jail. Um, they would be offered, depending on um, what they were being released for, what their probation looked like, and how long they had been there, they would get a suit. So we got a huge pile of donations of these um, different suits that were in different sizes and had little flaws. So somebody had returned them from Indochino. And so we were able to fit the boys with a suit before they left. This was to encourage them to look for jobs, to feel more confident, to have clothing that they could apply for jobs in or that they could go to interviews in and um, just to encourage all of the hard, or to, I guess, reward all of the hard work that it had taken to get to this point. The boys really loved the opportunity when they would get a suit and it was always this really special and I felt so privileged to be the one to get to do this with them. But It'd be after school hours and they would be allowed off the unit to come over to my classroom where I had all the suits and it would just be them and me and we would pick out suits and um, and they could try them on and find one that they liked and um, then they would have a new suit and it would go into their locker until the day that they were released. But it was always such an amazing bonding experience with them and such a good way to celebrate their success. Our school... And I'm, I'm moving kind of quickly through these because I have a lot of great stories. <laughs> um, our school also had in the science room, we had a class pet. His name was Charlie and he was a bearded dragon. I always think that one of the best ways to see somebody's true self is how they are with animals and whether or not they are gentle and kind and nurturing. And to see the way that these boys were with Charlie was so tender and Charlie would often come out of his aquarium, his tank, and he would he liked warmth. So he would sit across the keyboard on the boys' computers on the boys' computers. And then, you know, it was a great, great way for them to not have to do work because it was, well, how do I work? Charlie's sitting on my keyboard, right? Or Charlie would sit on their shoulder and he'd just hang out with them and um, they would make sure that he had everything that he needed. And it was really sweet and really tender. And I say this because it leads in really well to my next story. So this is probably my favorite story of all time. Probably the last one I'll share this round. I might do another podcast at some point um, talking about some of the other stories from from my times in Altad. But this is my all-time favorite story. I'm sitting at my computer one day and all the kids are, are hard at work on something. And I have this one student come up to me. And just to give some context, we're alone in a room with these with these students and a lot of people think well why don't you have a guard in there why don't you have a line stuff well it wasn't really needed first of all we're on camera and second of all I have a panic button if I needed to hit it but I in four years I never once hit it anyway I'm sitting at my computer and this kid comes up and he leans in really close and he says I have a question and when this happens it's usually never good <laughs> it's usually not an appropriate question it's usually not a question that i can answer and usually when it's in a hushed tone it's because they don't want to be picked up at all from anybody else and so i'm like oh god here we go <laughs> okay what's your question hypothetically if i were hiding a tree frog in my room what would it eat okay so hypothetically, you are hiding a tree frog in your room and you're needing to feed it. And I said, okay, well, hypothetically, this tree frog that you are hypothetically hiding in your room, 
will probably eat bugs, crickets, things like that. Okay, so the kid continues. If Larry needs crickets or bugs, can I get them from Charlie? Me. Hypothetically, this hypothetical tree frog is named Larry. The kid. I don't know. I don't know, but do you think you could get crickets or bugs from Charlie? So next thing I know, the kids are escorted back to their rooms for the end. It's the end of class and it's lunchtime. They're escorted back to their units. So what am I doing? I am rounding up crickets from Charlie's food source in the science room, secretly, I might add, and folding them delicately so they'll stay alive into a makeshift paper envelope and then delicately sliding it into a textbook so that I can sneak it over to the unit and claim that this student forgot their homework in class. So I walk across and I say, hey, so-and-so left his homework over in the classroom. Can I drop it off in his room? The line staff says, oh, we'll do it. Oh, no, 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 just let me. You guys are busy. I've got it. Don't worry about it. He's eating lunch. He's over there. Don't worry about it. I'll do it. Okay, sure. You can drop it off. So I sneak it in there. I see this student on my way out. Give him a wink. He now knows that Larry the tree frog has some food. And the brilliant part about all of this is that he and I thought that we had this great scheme going, right? <laughs> I'm helping him. I'm not getting caught. He's got this tree frog on the down low, which we both know is a very, very short-lived experience. And we both think we're pulling the wool over everybody's eyes. Well, we're in a place with a million cameras. There's no way that we were pulling the wool over anybody's eyes. But it was so much fun. And um, shortly thereafter, Larry was released and, and he was sent home to his forest. But for a day or two, this kid got to have this totally appropriate and totally sweet secret that he was keeping. One that he couldn't get in, really in trouble for. One that nobody would condemn him for. And he was taking very good care of Larry, given the circumstances. The best part is when I went to morning meeting the next day where we talk about you know, what the students' days are going to look like. And everybody's there, the um, like the CEO, the headline staff, and, and um, all of us teachers and, and all that stuff. And they say, yeah, so today we're gonna have to let Larry go. I'm like, what, you knew about Larry? Well, of course they knew about Larry. Anyway, Larry is one of my favorite stories, and I often think of that student and very, very fondly. Um, so the next place that I'm going to talk about is uh, when I worked in addictions treatment. This place was one of my favorite places to work because it was so flexible. Some of the students were mandated to go to treatment, and some of them were not. Yeah, it really, it really depended on their circumstances but we were able to go on outings all the time and go for walks and the kids could self-discharge if they chose to. Again, if they were mandated, it was unlikely that they would self-discharge because that would be a breach of probation, but um, for many of them, they chose to stay anyways, regardless of whether or not it was a breach. I have a couple of stories from this place, but I'm gonna try and speed it up a little bit. The first is when I would bring my dog in. Duke is an 80 pound Sharpe cross. He, um, is very, very gentle, very, very sweet and snuggly and meaty looking and rough looking and he's part pit bull. So the boys at the addictions treatment center loved him because he reminded them of their dogs. 
And so I would occasionally bring Duke in with me and I was there as a counselor. And there was nothing better than when I'd get there at 7 a.m., which was an hour before the boys would be asked to wake up. And Duke would be tippy-tapping along the floor, getting super excited, and it would be a chorus of doors opening to allow Duke in. And it would be all the boys being like, Duke, come in here. All of them fighting to have Duke snuggle with them in their rooms. And it was just really sweet because like I said before, I feel like you can really see who a person is by how they treat animals. And there was not one time where I was fearful of Duke's safety in that space. And I would literally die for my dog. So uh, I was very cautious of how safe Duke would be and how safe the boys would be. And there wasn't one time that I was concerned about that. Another story that comes to mind, and this is the last one I'll share, even though I have a million. Um, the boys were supposed to be in bed by about 10 o'clock. That was supposed to be curfew, lights out, everything. And I was there until 11. So that was my time in the evening to finish up my case notes, uh, write notes for the morning counselor who was on duty and um, tidy up anything that needed, any loose ends that needed tidy up. It's 10 o'clock. Most of the boys are in bed except for one. And he's dawdling in the bathroom. Doors open, he's brushing his teeth and whatever. So I go and knock on the door and I say, hey, bud, it's 10 o'clock. It's time to head to bed. Oh, I'm, I just, I got to shave. So next thing I see him pull out the shaving cream and here he goes. All right, buddy, like you don't need to do that right now. It's time for bed. Somehow all of this continued asking for him to go to bed, him brushing his teeth about six times, shaving about six times. Next thing he's got a full beard and a shaving cream bikini. Please note, the shaving cream bikini was over top of his full clothes. (laughs) But shaving cream bikini. So it's hilarious. You know, like, yes, he's breaking a quote unquote rule, but it's so funny. So I'm trying really hard to be clear and firm while not laughing, but it's impossible. I can't not laugh because he looks ridiculous. He looks like Santa in a bikini. So I'm laughing, trying not to. And he's marching around the house showing off to the, um, the other workers who are there and showing all of them how great he looks in his shaving cream beard and shaving cream bikini. And somehow it continues to devolve. And now it's about 10.30. And now all of a sudden I'm covered in shaving cream and toothpaste and there's a full on shaving cream toothpaste war happening throughout the house while all the other boys are sleeping and it's between me the resident worker and this young man. And it's 11 o'clock, I'm supposed to be off shift and the place is covered in shaving cream. So I was there until midnight cleaning up shaving cream with this kid. And while I'm cleaning up shaving cream, I'm like obviously frustrated and annoyed that I'm having to clean up shaving cream. But would I have traded that experience to have been able to leave right at 11? No. And did that mean that the kid was up two hours past bedtime? Yes. Who cares? It was hilarious and he was having fun. And the best way to help healing is to allow play. And there's not a lot of safety for play for young men, particularly in treatment or in custody. And so we need to find those moments to allow play and allow freedom and 
that was play. That was clearly play. And a lot of healing can be done during play. So I wouldn't have traded it for the world. It was one of my favorite and fondest memories there. And it was hilarious and cute. And, and it was just great. I'm going to stop there because I'm trying to keep my podcast shorter than an hour long. And this is already 25 minutes. So I've talked about youth custody. I've talked about Hope House, um, my the addiction treatment center. And I haven't yet talked about working with young women. And I haven't yet talked about my current job. But... I am looking forward to sharing those in a future podcast. If you liked this episode, please let me know and look me up at thecontemporaryeducator.com or on Instagram at teach.emote.repeat. I would love to hear from you. And if you have stories from your alt-ed experiences, I would really love to hear them. So find me in those places, send me a message, and I look forward to hearing from you soon.